Today, I, I know a lot of you have asked me about how did the hike go, and I, I know I mentioned it, so I'll just share real quickly. I, I'll just give you this. I survived, uh, which is good. 45-pound pack and 33 miles of walking, uh, that is not my standard fare. Uh, you know, for me, sitting behind a desk is usually what you find me doing, but um, uh, Bob uh, Martin had invited me to go on this hike with him, and, um, you know, I, he's all manly and, and you know, tough and stuff, and so is Heath, and I thought, well, I'm going to hang with those guys for a while, but they really, they really don't know how wimpy I am, so I hope I can keep up. Uh, so they dragged me along, went through a little bit of a hazing, uh, but I held my own, right? Okay, all right. Uh, so there you go. There you have it right there. Uh, we had an awesome time, and the stories would be overflowing, so I don't want to bore you with all the details, but I may mix in a few things along the way just to uh, uh, give you a little bit of flavor. But it, it was cool. Uh, the cool thing about it was the camaraderie of going and doing something I'd never done before, and I would never do by myself uh, had I not had capable people who understood uh, the difficulties of the trail. And I thought of the comparisons between uh, doing something like that and just doing life in the Lord. And I realized that they, they definitely are very parallel. Uh, God throws us into circumstances in this world that are challenging, to say the least. And yet, he also puts people into the situation called uh, his family or his church that can give us guidance so that we can manage to make it along the way. And uh, as I was thinking about the hike and the first day that we had, uh, which was pretty easy, uh, the second day, um, it, went, it went about 13 miles, uh, four of which uh, we weren't actually supposed to go, but we got some wrong directions and uh, got a little dehydrated, and uh, it... Um, it was pretty tough, and uh, when we started a language, uh, Bob would give uh, Heath and I a motivational speech. It would go something like this, and I think you can memorize it if you like. I, uh, uh, when, it, when it gets uh, so bad you just want to drop, uh, he would say very, not so kindly, suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, <laughs> it's on. Uh, and, and in some ways, God tells us to do that. Uh, that. There's a lot more inside of us when he's inside of us than we realize. And we can manage a lot of circumstances that we otherwise feel like it would just be impossible to do uh, when he's in the equation. If you look at the graphic, you see uh, Nebuchadnezzar's gate. And the reality is you wouldn't see trees like that when you look through it, but rather you would see a city filled with intrigue, uh, filled with power, and, uh, and really a, a crazy tyrant running the show and making people do things at whim. And yet in the midst of all of that chaos, uh, there was a peace in the heart of Daniel and the three companions that he had that said, it's all good. Why? Because God is in the picture. And I don't know about you, but maybe you're looking through the gate right now and you're saying, it's scary looking through that gate. I see uh, a country in turmoil. I see a news cycle that is 
basically premised on creating fear and anxiety so you'll watch more of it. And I see people afraid and worried and concerned. And yet, when you look through that, and if you have the right lenses on, you can see something different. If you have lenses that God puts on your eyes to help you to see as he sees, then you'll have the wisdom to navigate what's in front of you. And as Daniel is um, going through this process, we can kind of come alongside him and learn a lot from what he experienced. Uh, in, uh, in Daniel chapter 2, verses uh, 46 through 48, the perspective that Daniel had um, really uh, impressed a lot of people, especially a king who knew that everyone else really lacked an understanding on how to get a bead on the circumstances around them. And yet, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was tested by God in his own right, and he saw that there were four people who had immense credibility that were not from his own country, and they were Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And we pick up the story where because of their character, uh, but even beyond that, the wisdom that they had, Nebuchadnezzar was drawn to them. And uh, in, this, uh, in this setting, with that understanding, we read these, these words. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. And the king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you, you were able to reveal this mystery. And it is regarding the dream that he'd had uh, prior to that. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. And he made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. And so you can see how much Nebuchadnezzar valued wisdom because uh, at the top of the food chain in his particular political economy were wise men who helped him to run, run the machine. And so he, he saw in Daniel something that might be useful. And that was just the fact that he had a clear head and he could do what needed to be done to get the job done. And Daniel being elevated to that status, um, I think, uh, displayed something in the process that I want us to consider uh, the wisdom that he had is a wisdom that we're actually all called to have. One of the goals that I, I, I feel like God has for you and I is that we can look at life and we can make sense of what's going on around us in such a way that we can make the best decisions uh, at, at every appropriate uh, point. And if you have children, isn't that what you want? You want them to make wise decisions about the challenges that life throws their way. And, um, and, and so let's figure out how to get that same perspective together, uh, shall we? Um, and, uh, and just uh, looking at a few passages of Scripture, uh, another one I want us to consider is from Proverbs 9 and 10. And it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, 
How many of you come to church with the hope that as you worship on a Sunday, not only are you uh, allowing your soul and your spirit to, to engage with God in a healthy way, but are you seeking a way of looking at the confusing life that we're thrown into that will enable you to, 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 to not only manage it, but to manage the relationships that you have well, to manage yourself well, to manage your, your work or your, uh, whatever environment you're responsible over, to do all of those things, to bring that spiritual layer to it in a way that makes life um, really enjoyable. And the place to start, Proverbs says, is right here where we find God together in worship. We find him also through his word. We actually find him in all of creation as we just heard the choir sing. He's everywhere, but the best way to focus in on who he is is through his word and through worshiping together as his people. So as we do that, Paul, or God rather, looks at um, uh, the situation and he, he's saying, um, I want everybody to be a part of this. I want everybody to experience the joy that we just heard the choir sing with. I want everybody to sense that purity. Uh, one, of the, um, one of the experiences that we had in our hiking adventure, it was kind of strange, but we had hiked a very long, hard day. And we we're getting to the place where our shelters are. And trust me, this isn't the Holiday Inn. Uh, this is um, crude and primitive. But because... Uh, Heath and Bob are so manly. I thought, well, we're going to do manly stuff like that, you know, sleep on the hard uh, wooden floor of a shelter. But as we're going in there, I heard a bunch of little kids, probably junior high age, screaming and carrying on. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I just want some rest. I'm tired. And here these kids are carrying on. They're kind of down in the valley below us. And all of a sudden it got quiet. And we heard singing. And it was otherworldly singing. If you ever seen, oh brother, where art thou? And the baptismal scene, you know, they're singing in the, in the, by the river. It had that feel about it. And I'm like, whoa. And it was very godly. It just had that purity to it. And it was so refreshing to hear that and to sense that right here in the middle of nowhere in these woods are a bunch of really... 12, 13-year-old kids just enjoying the Lord. And I thought, how strange. And I got a chance to talk to them the next day, and they, they, they are from a, a youth group. And I said, well, how far are you guys going today? Because we were going like on a six-mile hike. And they said, oh, we're going to go about 13 miles today. And I'm like, kids. <laughs> Anyhow, as we, uh, as we proceed uh, along these lines, looking for God's wisdom, just a few things I want you to understand. As a believer, I know that God wants, in my role and in any leader, in each of us, us to have wisdom. And the way I look at things and have looked at things as a church leader, especially when problems come up, and trust me, you have them as a, as a church leader, and you have them in your own home, and you have them wherever you go. <clears throat> I'm always asking the question, how do these problems relate to what God's redemptive purpose is? 
You know, God is trying to take what's broken and make it whole. He's trying to redeem it. And I look at problems and I say, does God want us to get rid of problems? Or does God want us to use problems to process our relationship with him and to learn and grow through them? If you have kids, I think one of the biggest challenges is asking them to do something and they go and do it and they don't do it nearly like you think it needs to be done. And a big part of you is saying, it would be so much easier for me to just go do it and get it done and get it out of the way rather than help them understand that, when, that you don't put liquid dishwashing detergent in the dishwasher or you don't put... Um, uh, you, you know, you, you just don't do certain things around the house a certain way without creating a lot of damage. And yet, I know that when they do those things and they process those things and they go through the pain of those things, believe me, they learn. And God is saying, I'm allowing you to go through things so that you learn. Most of us, uh, even if you have a college education, how many of you have, are in the process of going to the school of hard knocks? Anybody ever been there? There, there, are, there are actually refresher courses uh, that happen along the way. It basically means you think you got a beat on something, you find out you don't, and you end up getting beat up in the process till you learn. And God is causing us to learn through what we experience. And he allows it so that it can work towards his redemptive purposes. Well, how does this work out in reality? Our job is to use wisdom to influence people in a way that brings them close to God. That's it. That's all God wants you and I to do. If you start following him and you start knowing him and you start enjoying him, you quickly find yourself being really pushed by God a little bit to help other people. Have you ever had that feeling where you just want to you want to do something that's going to make life better for another human being. It could be taking a, a kid alongside and giving them wisdom by mentoring them. It could be a person that you know that is really hurting and broken and you want to come alongside and you want to give them the guidance or show them the way. Uh, my, my, my daughter has a, a roommate who's really struggling and she's found herself doing something which I was quite surprised. And that is just going the extra mile to help her to get some counseling and to find some people that can help her with the issues. I'm like, Mayim, really doing that? Yet there's something inside of her that says, I need to help people around me. I need to bring them closer to God. It's just a natural part of growth. It's the difference between being an immature believer and a mature believer. So let's go on and look at the things, the two things that I think God wants us to to, to hone in on as we bring people close. He looks at us and he says, I want you to think maturely about what's happening. Now, how, 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 do we, how, do we, how do we just bring this to a point of comparison? All right. When my, when, when my, um, when my son was eight years old, I said... I can, we can, we can go on a trip to the, 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 the water park in Santa Claus, Indiana and enjoy a 
wonderful day at, the, at that theme park with water slides and roller coasters and all this stuff. Or I can give you a free college education and the keys to my house. What choice do you think the eight-year-old took? He was not interested in the college education, and he really could care less about the keys to the house. And I'm thinking, if only you knew what I just put in front of you. Instead, he chose the water park. To quote Indiana Jones, he chose poorly. But that being said, an immature thinking is only thinking about what I can get in the here and now. Only what in the moment is the most important to me. And it really circles back around to what I want in the moment. And usually uh, it's a kind of thinking that's pretty simplistically oriented that way. As a believer, we, we come into the family of God immature. It's just a given. Immature in our understanding of what the faith is all about. And the first hurdle that a believer will face is when they have this idea that if I come to church, God will bless my life and things will start working the way they should. And to some degree, things do start to kind of work better. You feel better about yourself. You treat other people kindly or kinder anyway, in a godly way. And you're thinking God is good. Then all of a sudden, something bad happens. Uh, there's um, there's a crisis, or there's a tragedy, or there's something that tells you, wait a minute, is God really in control? Did God really allow this car accident to occur? Am I really getting, um, uh, you know, th this bill from these people uh, th that's way beyond what I'm capable of paying? And as we're looking at it, we're saying, well, maybe God isn't so trustworthy after all. And it's really all about me. But what you find as you mature is good stuff's going to happen, bad stuff's going to happen. But God will work it all together for good, Romans 8.28 tells us. And when it happens, if it's good or bad, if it's good, God may be saying, use that to bless other people. If it's bad, God may be saying, use that to learn about what's happening in the situation. Maybe you're having this financial issue the way you are because you need to learn how to manage your money. And I'm not going to zap you and make you all of a sudden uh, the, um, uh, the, the, the instant money management guru. No, I'm going to have you grow through that process. Or maybe you've had a tragedy or a, an incident happen that is pretty devastating and you're going through that valley of the shadow of death and you're saying, God, I just don't get why you're allowing me to go through this. But a mature believer will say, I've read the 23rd Psalm and in the middle of that valley, David says, you are with me. And a mature believer realizes that God's allowed the valley, but God stays with you in the valley. And wisdom says, I'm going to do what a mature mind calls me to do. If pain happens, don't blame God. Because if I zoom out a little bit, I see that the deepest pain that could ever happen, God actually projected onto himself when his son died on the cross and gave himself as a ransom for us. 
we realize that the most painful thing in the world doesn't center around me, but actually centers around him. And a mature perspective says, yeah, it, it, could, be, it could be a lot worse. Um, on, on day uh, two of our hike, we were hiking down this trail that went around Seven Springs Resort, and they had decided that they were going to reroute the trail so that we would not go through the resort but around it. Maybe they didn't want the riffraff backpackers going through there. I don't know. But uh, it wasn't marked very well. And there were actually some yellow markings, which you would typically follow, that pointed us in a direction away from the trail. And we assumed, hey, that's where we need to go. But Bob wisely got on his phone and he called the trail people and he said, now, is there a detour going around here? And is it marked this way with these, these markings? And the person said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we went down this very steep hill. We walked down a fire road uh, for a total of about two miles. And all of a sudden we realized, as we looked on our GPSs on our phones, we're way off the trail. And so we had to hike back down the fire road and up that steep hill to get back where we started, and we're just spent. And I'm looking at the situation, and I'm thinking, this is going south, isn't it? And I'm thinking, maybe my intrepid guides aren't so wise after all. And I'm thinking, what did I get myself into? And naturally, I started praying. God, help us, help us, help us. God, please help us. I know you're here. Help us. And God is saying, it's all right. Zoom out a little bit and get perspective. And, and, and they did as well. I'm just kind of cracking on them a little bit. Uh, because what we had to tell ourselves was, just got to relax. Got to look at our rations. And we just got to do what we got to do. We could have panicked, could have just started running, or did something that tried to make it seemingly feel better. But you just have to slowly plod through the process. Because in that case, the purpose was to get back on the trail and get to where we needed to be. The goal for maturity is to learn to recognize what is of primary importance and what is uh, secondary in significance. A mature person says, let's put God first in this equation because wisdom starts with him. Let's look at our circumstances like David did. And uh, he did the math and he said, okay, they want to rename me after a demon. They want me to learn astrology and the occult. And um, they also, as I'm doing those things, you know, they're calling us to... Uh, to, to, to administer over um, uh, a territory that's governed by a madman. And they said, we're, we're okay with it. We'll take the name change. We'll learn the occult. Uh, and we'll manage the situation with people that would stab us in the back. Why did they do that? Because they knew that God had placed them in that role for, their, for his redemptive purpose. If we had to change our name to, um, instead of um, Leonard Moore, uh, something like Satan Moore, if I had to learn all of these strange uh, uh, astrology and satanic writings, I would have to do it. It doesn't mean that I would agree with it or buy into it, but what they did was they just went along with the plan so that when the time came, 
they would have enough credibility to say, yeah, we learned your stuff. Yeah, we took on your name change. Yeah, we were responsible for what you gave us. And God said, you behave wisely. And when the time is right, you're going to get a hearing from them about me. And if you remember the text, it said, Nebuchadnezzar was amazed that the God of Daniel was the God of gods and the, and the Lord of gods. He was blown away by the fact that the credibility that Daniel had with him was transformed into an awareness of who God was. Daniel wasn't influenced by those things as much as an influencer over the situation. And a mature person says, that's what I want to do. I don't want to be sucked in by things that are not right, but rather I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just walk alongside the situation with the mind of God and have his perspective. So that leads to the second thing that I want us to consider. Wisdom perspective requires biblical tolerance. You ever heard that word tolerance? You know what it means, don't you? Um, it, in, in the worldly sense, it means everyone should be able to do whatever anybody wants to do. But if you don't do that, if you don't accept that, then you're wrong. And it's sort of, in a weird way, not logical. Like, you're telling me to be tolerant, but all of a sudden, tolerant of everybody's views, rather, but all of a sudden, if I weigh in on something, you're telling me that I'm bigoted. And you're making a judgment about me, and you're being intolerant. That, that, doesn't, that only works in places where they lock people up. But biblical tolerance is different. And I want you to underscore this in your mind. The Bible teaches us that, 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 that the truth of God is centered in his word. And so we use that. And people for thousands of years have used the Bible to get perspective on what's happening. And as they've done that, they've, they've really tapped into to the truth. But how we've managed that hasn't been so good. So what is biblical tolerance? It's not arrogant, but it is granting people the right to be wrong. I know that can come across as sounding like, yeah, everybody's entitled to my own opinion. But it really is, we're looking at life through the lens of Scripture. We're looking at life through our relationship with God. And we have this sense that that really is where the truth can be found. But we're also looking at people around us and we're saying, they're a little misguided. Uh, they're telling us up is down and down is up. They're telling us a lot of things that don't make a lot of sense. Maybe they're telling us that we should, um, you know, uh, get, get, get huge loans and rack up credit cards. It's all good. You can find a way to, to leverage that in some way that you can get on top. Or maybe they're telling us that it's okay to behave however you want to behave. And we're looking at all this stuff and we're scratching our heads and we're saying, is that really right? And the only way we know is we look at the Bible and we say, God, guide us through this because there has to be a right way and a wrong way. And biblical tolerance says, um, you have that right to be wrong. Here's the problem that Christians are facing right now. For a couple of decades, when people in popular culture weren't doing things the way we thought they should do, do them, we would have a petition, we'd have a campaign, there would be a, a campus speaker who would speak something about atheism 
or all of those things, and people would get all churned up and, 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 and try to impose upon other people our Christian view of things in a country that um, is fairly Christian, but has a lot of people who don't believe in God, don't want anything to do with God, and kind of teach accordingly. And we've heavy-handedly tried for a number of decades to just keep those voices out. And you may be thinking, where are you going with this, Leonard? But here's where I'm going. The tables have turned. And now everybody hates the church because the church has been so heavy-handed for decades on people who didn't do it the right way who, um, for whatever reason, you know, uh, they, 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 they had their own mind about things. And now they're saying, you were heavy-handed on us, now we're going to be heavy-handed on you. We don't have any credibility with people anymore. And so we have to reset it completely. And when people say be tolerant of everyone, they're basically saying everyone can be tolerant of everyone except for Christians. You're bigots and you're not allowed in the conversation. It's really gotten down to that. Biblical tolerance is what Daniel did. He said, I'm going to put up with this stuff. I don't agree with it. I'm not going to condone it. But I'm going to come alongside it. And I'm going to choose my battles wisely so that I can speak into their world when it's time, when God says it's time for, and they're ready to hear Pick your battles wisely and don't jeopardize your ability to influence. We are influencers in a post-Christian culture where people have stacked it against us. But I'm not, I'm not discouraged because I believe that you can never get the upper hand on God. I believe that if people are going the wrong way, eventually you'll figure it out. I mean, we were going the wrong way on the trail and, and Heath and Bob are saying, you know what? All the clues say this is going to end badly. Like the headline news tomorrow night is going to be three people were almost rescued, but we didn't quite get there in time. Helicopters came in and carried their bodies off, and the families in Mexican have been notified. I mean, that's where you end up on those things if you don't look at the clues and see how they're working against your well-being. And many people are going the wrong way, and they're saying... I have a feeling this is going the wrong way. And for some of them, they put the brakes on it and they've said, I've looked for answers here. I've looked for answers here. I've looked for answers here. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if I go to church, if I can find answers there. But if people come in here and we say, all right, you can't smoke, you can't chew, you can't go out with girls who do, you got to wear... Uh, certain dress and you got to behave a certain way and you got to have a certain haircut and you, you, you definitely you know, can't do this list of things. And all of a sudden people are like, well, I just want to know God. I just, just point the direction. I don't care about that. Just point the direction to God for me. And we're, and we're like, we're not going to let you through until you do those things. And then we'll show you God. But you know what God did? He said, I'm just going to throw myself into their world I'm not going to put up any barriers, and I'm going to go to the biggest sinners and the most despised people, and I'm just going to wrap my arms around them and tell them that I love them. And when you have somebody tell you that you love them, 
You've earned the right to influence them. I think one reason why Bob and Heath put up with me so much is they love me. And they tolerated me. And in turn, I'm like, I'm your student. Teach me how to hike. And then they even went so far as to let me in on some secrets. And I'll just share a few of them with you. Okay? One of them is when you get done hiking and you go to Dairy Queen and you say, you don't say, give me the number one with one patty. You get the two patty hamburger with a large fry. You take that back to your seat. And when everybody's done with their prayer, you hork that puppy down. I mean, elbows on the table, you shovel that thing in your face. And I'm like, wow. It's so great to be brought to that kind of a communion table with brethren. And it was all in fun. I got to keep going or I'm going to jeopardize all my influence here. So let's just end it. Our job is to use wisdom to influence people in a way that brings them close to God. Look, our world's broken. We have our own brokenness. God loves us more than you can imagine. He knows that there are things that we're doing that aren't right. But like any relationship, when you come close to a person, they start influencing you. I mean, I'm ruined now, guys. Thanks a lot. Now, I, I, was, I was looking at hiking gear last night on the, on, on the, uh, online. My wife's like, what are you looking at? Nothing. I just slammed the laptop down. And, um, but somehow it, it got into my head and I'm, I'm undone. And God does that to you and I. He gets in our head and all of a sudden, we just don't see things like we used to see them. His wisdom begins to take hold. We get perspective. We start to grow. And pretty soon, we learn to choose battles that are worth fighting, and we learn to let them go if, they, if they're going to affect our ability to influence. And I hope today in this message, and what the choir sang, and in the beauty of everything that God calls good, that the gap between you and him has closed just a little bit. And maybe you need to close it some more by just surrendering at this point your life to him and receiving from him all the wonderful gifts that he has for us, especially adoption into his family and a life that will never be the same.